Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, July 29, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, the Kem Reynolds Court, a career Iowa Republican congressman, endorses Democrats, a close AG campaign, and Todd tells Iowa Democrats to show him the money. I, we've never done audio clip inserts here. Um, I'll leave it up to our producer whether he wants to insert that Jerry Maguire uh, clip right there. Otherwise, just imagine it, the it, podcast listeners, you know what I'm talking about. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning and happy pre-BIC day. Tomorrow is uh, the BIC 7 in Davenport and everybody is uh, getting excited for that homecoming. Big, big day, big annual day in the Quad Cities this weekend. Uh, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Good morning, Jared. Good morning, Aaron. You know, I, uh, I get up every morning and I go to podcast each day. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and finally, Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. All right. First up this week, Iowa got its newest Iowa Supreme Court justice when Governor Kim Reynolds appointed David May who has been serving as a state appeals court judge since 2019. Once May officially takes his seat on the court, five of the seven justices will have been appointed by Reynolds, and all of the justices will have been appointed by Republicans. Uh, Jared, let me start with you. This seems significant given some of the decisions that the Iowa Supreme Court has been asked to make recently and the kinds of decisions that it will be asked to make again here in the near future. Um, especially on abortion, has the Iowa Supreme Court, despite what was designed to be a nonpartisan system, become a little more like the U.S. Supreme Court, where judicial appointments are essentially political appointments? Yeah, so I, I got curious about this on a couple of different levels of government, and I, I started looking first at some data on the the Supreme Court level. And in 2015, there was this research to look into how often Supreme Court justices went with the party of the person who appointed them. And what they found is that from 1937 through 2014, all but one of the justices examined uh, voted at least a majority of the times with the appointing president. And the mean there was like 65% of the time. Now, you know, you can say that's just one study and that's looking at national trends. That's not state level why do we care but you know that's not an insignificant partisan lean that's presented there and i'm not aware of any iowa level look into this but i can't really imagine a world where iowa is somehow immune from a partisan lean like that especially when you consider that you know iowa is a state now that's really started to tilt in one direction and you know this is a state with not too distant memories of judicial recall uh uh, recalls happening, which are a means of disciplining on on some level. So if you really would like to keep offering your well-reasoned legal arguments, you know, maybe you start making more of an effort to go along with and get along with the folks who brought you to the dance. And if someone in a position that is highly partisan, like the governor of a state or the president, uh, picks you, they didn't likely do that just because you're a law maestro. You know, part of their calculus is also that they think that you see the world the way they see the world oftentimes, and they also are making that uh, choice in part because they believe you'll make rulings that make their agenda easier. And I, I know all of this is speculative on my part on some level, but it's also human nature. Usually, if you get an important job, you're going to want to keep that job, and you're going to want to do what it takes to keep that job. 
Yeah, and and look, this isn't um, intangible. We we have a very recent ruling here by this Iowa Supreme Court that overturned uh, a previous ruling of all of four years ago um, on abortion here. So, I mean, uh, this isn't a, a discussion in a, in a vacuum um, here either. Um, so, so your points are well taken, uh, Jared. It, and it's interesting to me because, you know, having following the legislature and some of the little tweaks, I, Iowa's system was of, of selecting judges was built to remove politics as much as possible by having the, you know, the nominating commissions. The governor doesn't just get to pick a, a, a candidate from, you know, the whole universe of Iowa judges. She gets a list of finalists sent to her by this nominating commission. But, uh, you know, the facts are that this, the state legislature uh, under its current Republican majority has made it easier for uh, the governor to get, you know, like-minded people onto those commissions and in majorities on those commissions and in places of leadership on those commissions. So when those finalists are presented to the, to the governor, those finalists are all, you know, have been through a process that that is, you know, has been led by a, a political majority. So so even Iowa's system is not immune, especially as it's recently been tweaked. All right. Moving on this week, we shift now to the campaign trail again, where every good Iowa political reporter belongs, where a former congressman is switching parties to make some endorsements. Uh, very interesting story this week out of the Quad Cities. Jim Leach, who represented Eastern Iowa in the U.S. House as a Republican for 30 years, said this week that he is endorsing Democrat Christina Bohannon in what is essentially the district that Leach used to represent. Now, redistricting over the years troubles that around a little bit, but, but essentially the, uh, a similar district. Uh, Leach said he also plans to support Democrat Mike Franken in Iowa's U.S. Senate campaign against longtime Republican incumbent Chuck Grassley. Uh, Sarah, you had this story first this week. Uh, tell us why former Republican Congressman Leach said he is now endorsing Democrats. Yeah, so Jim Leach, um, in my conversation with him, he has he's been critical for the last several years of the rise of Trumpism in the Republican Party. And even, even during his time in Congress, he was fairly moderate Republican and has endorsed um, a few Democrats for president, um, including Barack Obama and um, Joe Biden once um, Republican Bill Weld dropped out of the 2020 presidential race. Um, and uh, and so, but this is really the first time that he's come out publicly in support of Democrats for Congress. Um, he didn't make an endorsement uh, last year when Rita Hart and Miller Meeks were, Marionette Miller Meeks were um, com, um, running against each other. And so his, uh, he's really been critical. His, his, when I talked with him, his, um, main shtick was the rise of Trumpism in the Republican Party. He, um, he especially in the wake of uh, the January 6th insurrection, really said he felt like the National Republican Party was letting the country down. Um, and, you know, although several are um, Iowa Republican representatives um, publicly have decried that violence, they've also been uh, accepted endorsements from Donald Trump. And in the case of Chuck Grassley, Marionette Miller-Meeks was notably not endorsed by Donald Trump, but she has said she's a 
pro-Trump candidate. And, um, and so, uh, really it's, it seems like, uh, the former representative is, uh, is criticizing this pro-Trumpism, uh, shift in the Republican party. And he was, um, Sarah, and forgive me, I, 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 if I missed it, I, I, don't think you mentioned this, but he was one of the former Republican leaders, and this was a nationwide thing that signed a letter. And someone else helped me fill in the blanks here. I'm, I can't remember what the population, what the universe of, of the types of leaders that that basically uh, was saying that the you know expressing disappointment in, in former Republican President Trump at the time. Jim Leach signed one of those letters as i recall and and, and um, the details is, are escaping me so uh, uh forgive me but he's been in this camp uh for a few years now um is the point um sarah uh so here's the question this is an endorsement so the question is does this help uh and i'll ask about your race does this help christina bohannon in her campaign against marionette miller makes in your best view yeah, that's a great question. I think um, Jim Leach seems to have a lot of risk, have um, a lot of people respect um, Jim Leach and at least the Democratic camp and um, and maybe some of the independents or uh, moderate camp, especially some older folks that uh, remember him from his time in office. Uh, but it is still just an endorsement from a 79 year old congressman who former congressman who hasn't been in office for um, let's see. 10, 15 years, if I'm adding correctly. Um, and so, you know, we know that endorsements aren't everything, um, but it is, uh, and he he worked with Christina Bohannon at the University of Iowa. He was a visiting professor and she's a college of law professor. So, um, you know, it might, it might sway a few people, but I think as we've seen endorsements aren't everything in, in a race. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jared. Uh, You're on mute. Jared, Jared, you got on mute. So. <laughs> I, I, uh, I kind of wonder too if um the fact that he, if I remember correctly, he spoke at like the DNC in 2008, and he served some kind of like humanities role uh in the Obama administration for like a brief time. If that blunts the surprise of this at all, versus if like he had just completely come out of nowhere and made this endorsement or if, if that doesn't matter too much and it's still a big deal either way. I yeah, think that's definitely fair to say. Yeah. To, to me, it seems like the, the, the universe of voters that this maybe impacts is if there are any Republicans, you know, in the second district, or if we're talking about the sec the Senate race in Iowa who are having similar you know, internal consternation is the, the kind that Jim Leach has described in the last few years uh, with the Republican Party and 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 still has been re voting Republican. And maybe they see, well, if Jim Leach has made that transition, it's OK for me to vote for a Democrat or two as well. Now, I, how big is that universe of Iowa Republican voters? I think it's fair to uh, question the size of that population. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, it's interesting. And uh, just to fact check myself, um, the letter I was trying to remember was uh, former national security officials uh, who signed a letter in 2020 uh, calling former President Trump unfit to serve. So, so his opposition to uh, President Trump uh, goes back at least that far. And also, Sarah, I wanted to say thank you for the real time 
display of journalists trying to do math uh, as you tried to figure out how much <laughs> congressman speeches in office. That was perfect. You were wondering how many people would, you know, how much support it would gain. As long as it's more than six people, it could be high impact. <laughs> it's a really good in point, that right? Yeah, Marionette Miller Meeks is Congresswoman because of uh, six votes in uh, over Rita Hart in 2020. That's a really uh, good point, um, Todd. All right, moving on elsewhere on the campaign trail, there was a, a nugget in some new polling that we actually talked about last week, uh, uh, the poll itself, but I missed this um, little item in, in a poll conducted by, conducted by Signal for the Conservative Iowans for Tax Relief Foundation. Democratic Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller is statistically tied with Republican challenger Brenna Byrd, who's a former legal counsel to uh, former Iowa Governor uh, Terry Branstad. Tom, I think we most of us expected a closer campaign here than uh, Miller is used to. Uh, did we expect it to be this close? Uh, honestly, I did not. Uh, Iowans traditionally like their incumbents, and Miller is the longest-serving attorney general in the U.S. He has deep ties to the state and uh, tends to draw less uh, partisan ire than some other elected officials. Um, but, you know, 2022 is expected to be a strong year for Republicans broadly, and Iowa Republicans are looking to capitalize. Uh, Byrd ran against Miller in 2010, and um, somebody can fact check me if I'm wrong here on my recollection, I think lost by um, 11 percentage points. Um, but the political climate and landscape in Iowa is much different. It's much more conservative. It's much more favorable to Republicans than Democrats with an extremely unpopular Democratic president, um, record high inflation and an economy that looks headed toward a recession. Uh, Byrd has vowed to uh, push back against uh, President Joe Biden's administration. And um, I think just given how unpopular um, Biden and his administration is right now, um, and um, given the responses that we saw um, from Iowans in the recent Iowa poll, feeling that the nation and the economy are headed in the wrong direction um, for, you know, vastly different reasons, you know, all of that, um, you know, um, it isn't going to play well for, you know, entrenched Democratic incumbents, um, you know, even a state attorney general, you know, who, again, has been in office for, um, you know, more than 30 years, um, approaching, I think, nearly 40. Um, you know, I, I think that there are islands, there are voters um, who uh, like the idea of um, having a Republican in there who, um, would be willing to challenge uh, the president and some of the administration's um, policies. And I think that maybe that's why this race has, has gotten um, so close. Um, and, and fundraising, too, I believe. Um, Aaron, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You did the last story looking at the fundraising numbers. Um, but it, it looks like um, Tom Miller, you know, didn't really raise a, a lot of money and Brenna Bird being very competitive in that respect as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and it's, he especially got off to a slow start. His most recent period, things picked up a little bit, I, I assume, maybe recognizing the challenge in front of him. Um, and he's kind of closed that gap to where I think, um, if I remember right, overall um, in the cycle, 
the numbers have evened out a little bit, but Brenna Bird definitely got off to a very strong start and started out ahead of, of Tom Miller in fundraising. Um, and, and you said it, Tom, uh, you know, Republicans sense the, you know, the, the political um, winds blowing and, and think this is an office that they can finally get in and um, very much believe and, and want a, a win in this race. And for some of the reasons you outlined, and look, we don't have to guess about this. Again, the Republican legislature um, wanted to essentially strip that office's right to, in you know, on its own, make decisions about what federal lawsuits to join, uh, because they didn't like that the Democratic uh, Attorney General was joining lawsuits uh, against the Republican president. Um, and so, this is clearly um, an office that the Republicans would like to see as part of their unified control of state government. And of course, uh, Governor Reynolds uh, made the comment at a fundraiser that she wants, and I forgive me for not remembering the exact verbiage that she used, but wanting one of her uh, people uh, you know, in that office, essentially saying she wants a Republican in that office, um, which is uh, you know, ideally, uh, and aren't we all a bunch of um, dewy-eyed idealists in this room, but ideally, uh, is an independent office that uh, works on the behalf of the people, not on, on behalf of the governor. Uh, well, so, and, so, and, 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 and to that and to that point, you know, this week um, we've seen um, the AG's office um, doing its best to remind Iowans and, and voters of that, um, you know, sending out a press release talking about Iowa being among a dozen states. Um, that uh, negotiated um, a framework for an agreement with um, uh, uh, opioid maker uh, Teva. Um, the AG's office just now sent out a press release saying that it reached another billion dollar agreement with a former um, opioid, opioid maker. Um, that's a tough word. And then, uh, and then yesterday, you know, we saw the news conference where he talked about um, suing tobacco companies um, for um, according to the AG's office, um, you know, n- not abiding by um, that um, kind of master settlement um, agreement um, that uh, was was struck back in um, in the late '90s. Was that '97? Anyway, thereabouts. Yeah, and and boy, what a, what a what a crazy coincidence that these all are happening now in in a campaign year as as the campaign. Weird. Is right it's now. like he's up for re-election or something. <laughs> Can can you be an idealist and a and a cynic at the same time? Sometimes are those mutually exclusive? <laughs> All right, finishing up this week. It's a little old now because uh, the, this uh, column came out shortly after we recorded last week's podcast. But uh, I wanted to make sure we talked about it this week because I thought it was really interesting. Our very own Todd Dorman uh, wrote a column. Um, that I wanted to bring up. Uh, I'll let him describe his thoughts in greater detail if he likes, but essentially it boils down to uh, Todd wrote that he's wondering why the big money democratic donors are not investing in Iowa's gubernatorial campaign. Uh, Deidre Dejir, the democratic challenger continues to um, be far, far outpaced in fundraising uh, by governor Reynolds. Uh, Todd, tell us a little more about what you wrote and, and why you think the Democratic donor class uh, should be listening. Um, I'm actually a little old now, too, so that's okay. <clears throat> uh, well, you know, I basically looked at a few things. I mean, obviously, 
uh, Governor Kim Reynolds is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Governor Kim Reynolds is very unpopular among Democrats. I think in the the recent, most recent uh, Des Moines Register MediaCom, am I missing any other sponsors poll? Uh, it showed. That, <laughs> I think you got them all. Yeah, it showed with uh, Reynolds at a 17 point lead over Desjir. Uh, but what was striking to me is that uh, Desjir had the support of 78% of Democrats, which sounds good. But compare that to, say, Mike Franken, who's got 88%. Kim Reynolds has 91% of, of Republicans. So I, I thought that was odd, considering that her approval rating among Democrats, the governor's approval rating among Democrats is 10%. So the poll was not exactly, was didn't, didn't not only look good at the top line, it also showed maybe some problems in the Democratic base. I mean, 5% of Democrats said they were going to vote for Rick Stewart, which I thought was a pretty significantly large <laughs> number, knowing Rick and his, and his platform. I mean, he, he is against the war on drugs, so maybe that's part of what that it's, that's about. Uh, and then you looked at the fundraising, and of course, you know, the governor has $5.2 million in the bank, raised like almost 370000 between May and July. Uh, this year's got about a half a million in the bank and, and raised about 230 some thousand dollars during that period or 50, $250,000. So lagging fundraising. And if you look through the fundraising numbers, you know, during this period and the previous periods, I mean, you're just a lot of the names of the, of the donors that you're used to seeing give, you know, twenty-five, $50,000 to democratic candidates. They're just not there. Uh, the ISCA hasn't donated to, to Zier yet, and she's arguably challenging the most anti-public education governor we've we've seen at least in modern history. Uh, so the question is, why is that? I mean, and and some of the answers are, you know, could make Democrats pretty uncomfortable. I mean, we we heard from Roz Smith back in December talking about how people wouldn't return his phone calls or take meetings with him, and and you know, and it, it, you know, is this does year making history? Is this making big donors uncomfortable somehow that they're not? I mean, that's that's pretty shameful if that's the truth. Uh, and then, you know, do they just think she can't win? Which you know, yes, the polling doesn't look good, but that's you know, as always, a self fulfilling prophecy. If you if you don't if you don't give a candidate resources, then they're at a disadvantage. I mean, she can't get on television and get herself known and get her uh, her you know her message widely heard. Without Thank money. you, Todd. And, and forgive me for interrupting, but because but I wanted to because that's exactly what I was going to ask you as a follow up here. Because I I assume that if you managed to pin anybody down on this, uh, what they would tell you is, well, you invest money in the races you think you have a, a chance to win, and maybe they don't think Desjir does. You raised a great point. Part part of that though is a self fulfilling prophecy thing, especially given some of the numbers. Look, when you talk about 78% of Democrats uh, only uh, approve of Deidre Dejir, that screams to me that there's roughly 20% that just don't know who Deidre Dejir is yet. You know, yeah, that's entirely like possible. It, which, which uh, again, comes back to, for better or worse, like it or not, the fundraising issue because you need those resources to run a campaign, to travel the state, and to get yourself on TV, which uh, as, as far as I'm aware anyway, Deidre Dejir has not been able to do yet. Um, in the general election season, that she does not have yeah. a, had a TV campaign ad yet. So, I, so I think it's a fair uh, uh, question you add uh, ask there, and and 
uh, about you know um it, it's like a it's a cycle well if you don't donate or if you know if a, if a candidate doesn't seem as seen as viable then maybe they won't donate well if you don't donate they're not going to have a chance to become viable well and, and you know under under normal political circumstances if anyone can remember when there were normal political circumstances uh i mean i you know i understand why people didn't you know donate to jack hatch when he ran against Branstead in 2014, he wasn't really a, a compelling candidate. Branstead wasn't was was popular, and I mean, just it wasn't as high as stakes. I mean, this this 2020 race. I mean, I mean 2022. What year is it? Uh, I mean, this is a high time, stakes. Time race. is a social construct, Todd. <laughs> I know it's a flat circle. Uh, so, I mean. What's going to happen if Kim Reynolds gets reelected is that there's going to be severe limits on abortion rights. There's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be probably school vouchers taking money away from public schools. I mean, all sorts of things that Democrats have been, you know, vehemently criticizing and, and, and working hard against are going to happen if they don't step up and try to make this a race. I mean, so the idea that it's sort of like, well, I know I've seen the poll, she can't win. It's you gotta maybe do something this time because if if the state, you know, goes redder this fall, the, the Democratic Party is I don't I don't know where they go from there. I mean it's they they cease to be much of a factor. Especially if especially if the governor can use her war chest to help Brenna Bird and uh, the other, you know, Democrat, the other Republicans running statewide and legislative candidates. So, I mean, they may come out of this election controlling the whole thing. I, and I, so I think, I don't think that's a time to sit on your money and, and wait for next time. What I wonder is what's to account for, say, you know, fundraising going really well for like after Roe v. Wade got kicked to the curb, there were plenty of Iowa Democrats that, you know, fundraised off of that, that we need to stop this from happening here. But then you don't necessarily see that trickling up to the gubernatorial race, because like, guess what? You can fundraise all you want just on the issue. But if the governor is not of the party <laughs> that you're supporting, then it, it doesn't matter how much money you pump in to those kind of fundraising efforts. They're they're sort of doomed. Well, yeah, and, and then then there was the sort of the shake your head part of the abortion rights poll that the register did, where twenty four percent of people who said abortion should be legal all or most of the time plan to vote for Kim Reynolds. So that's I, I don't I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, and just to go back to you know if 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 the big donor Democrats you know sit out of this race and and um, and Deidre Deer cannot you know, doesn't have the resources to put up a good fight and Kim Reynolds just completely routes uh, Deidre DeGere, she can come back and say, I have a mandate for all of these policies and I yep. can do all of these things. And if, if it was even, even if she didn't win, even if Deidre DeGere didn't win and she just made it a close race that could still maybe, um, you know, put a damper on some of those, some of those policies. Like I, I just remember after Kim Reynolds was um, first elected with uh, against Fred Hubble. And, and I remember her, you know, um, the felon voting rights and she seemed to play much closer to the center. Yeah, it, it, and the whole, to me, and I've been saying this in, in the past, that the defeatist sort of attitude among Iowa Democrats right now in this race, just, it, and I don't know if I'm missing something, Aaron.Murphy at thegazette.com to all you uh, flax and whoever's out there who knows the answer to this question that I'm completely missing. This is a governor that won by all of 2.8 percentage points 
four years ago. Um, it, this isn't Terry Branstead running for re-election after he just wiped up 98 out of 99 counties. Um, won by less than 3% four years ago. And in that meantime, has had myriad issues on which you can, you know, at the very least make an argument about, obviously any issue people are going to fall in their political silos, but there's any number of issues uh, that we could list off that could, that could resonate with uh, persuadable voters and, and have a discussion and a debate and, and raise questions about governor Reynolds record. So it, the idea that she was untouchable coming into this race just has confounded me from the start. Um, do not, to anybody who's starting an email, send me that 17% uh, margin in the Iowa poll, because that's, again, as we've discussed, you know, when you've got a challenger who hasn't been able to present themselves and make their case yet, of course you're going to have that. She's basically running against uh, no one, or as, as uh, a certain Gazette Des Moines Bureau reporter wrote recently, she's basically running against uh, Joe Biden uh, right now. Um, so it, it just, I don't get it. I, I'd love to hear the explanation uh, to that. Um, I well, think- and if you, if you see her campaign, I mean, if you talk to her and, and, you know, watch her out on the trail, she's, she's a stronger candidate than, than Fred Hubble was. I mean, to hear you're talking about. No, yeah, yeah, nothing against, nothing against Fred, but uh, she's just has a more compelling message. And I think, I think that's fair. I think she's yeah. a better communicator at the very Yeah, least. but he yeah. he had a huge pile of money, which that helped, obviously. Too much money, though, because they called him Sir Fred. <laughs> it's a fine line. Here we are now. Now we're criticizing <laughs> there, a candidate for having too much money. There's just there no are, pleasing us, Todd. There are rich people that Republicans don't like. That was a revelation during that <laughs> campaign. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got uh, many more on Iowa Politics podcast to, to figure this all out. And as this campaign goes on, uh, for now, that's it for this edition. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. If you do, tell your friends and make sure to subscribe to us uh, on any number of streaming audio services, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. If you have any suggestions for topics to discuss or you just want to reach out, or if you have an explanation for all this, uh, uh, you can reach out to us at podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you listen to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll get all the latest politi- politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that On Iowa Politics newsletter at thegazette.com. And don't forget, finally, that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. McFisto will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.